What's up, scholars? Welcome back. Uh, today, we have the privilege and opportunity to meet with soon to be Dr. Isaac Matthews, who is a PhD student in the Space, Environments, and Satellite Systems Group at Stanford University. Isaac has worked in startups, NASA, you name it. He's a fantastic resource and just a great overall person just to get tapped in with in terms of talking about getting a PhD in engineering and so much more. Hope you all enjoy today's episode. So Isaac, man, just introduce yourself to the people, you know, where you're from, what you're studying, what got you interested in engineering, man? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Isaac Matthews. I am originally from the DMV, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia area, more specifically uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, um, Oxon Hill, Fort Washington. For those who are familiar, uh, currently at Stanford, um, trying to uh, wrap up some uh, graduate research and currently um, doing some work in this space environment um, hazards. So um, I don't know if that's a, a good start or if I should go into a little bit more detail. I presume we, we have some time to kind of get into more detail about it as well. Yeah, for sure. Why don't you talk about like, you know, your transition to, to undergrad, you know, what you majored in and you know, did you ever think that you would even be interested in getting a PhD in engineering and how you even got to this spot? Yeah, I'm probably in somewhat of a unique position relative to, you know, my journey to the PhD, my, my journey to research career, for that matter. Um, for one, when I was in, you know, high school, I knew I wanted to do engineering. Uh, a big part of it was exploration, going to different summer camps seeing different things. At first, I wanted to be a pilot. And then I learned more about the machines, you know, the aircraft that, that these pilots flew. Um, found out a little bit more about incredible aircraft, spacecraft for that matter. And that really got me interested in aerospace. And I thought, hey, you know, I'm, I, I can learn more and more and more about, you know, really exploring depths of our, uh, our solar system, exploring depths of our existence on this planet for that matter as well, using these incredible machines. Um, you know, my, my journey to, to, to college, for that matter, I felt was the, the bare minimum expectation, at least for my, my mom, um, who made a huge priority on all of us, you know, going to college, you know, getting, getting a college education. Um, and, you know, for me, it was a question of what, I, what, what, what would I study? Where would I go? Um, and how would I balance um, my like a sense of self. I say that in, 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 a, in a sense because I felt I also wanted to explore athletics. Uh, I wanted to, you know, kind of see, um, you know, be fully present wherever I was. I didn't want to have to turn off facets of myself to exist in an environment. Um, that actually led me to choosing University of Maryland, Baltimore County. There are a number of things that, that really drew uh, my inspiration to go there. Um, one, it was a division one program for track and field. I ran track and field in college. Uh, there, was a, there is a black president of the university uh, and, and seeing him, you, are, you will quickly be inspired. Not only how incredible an orator he is, uh, but uh, how incredible a visionary he is as well. And I had an opportunity to um, hear from him and hear from people who knew him. Um, and the host of support that I saw just in talking with um, program um, uh, administrators at, with the Meyerhoff Scholarship Program, which is a program I, I did while, while at UMBC, 
but broadly speaking, the experience I had while just visiting the campus, it was a smaller school, kind of gave you a, a, a liberal arts feel, but I, I really just felt comfortable. And it's a school right outside of Baltimore City. Um, so certainly a lot of diversity. And I just felt comfortable. I felt like I could be myself there and, and thrive there. And that, and that, that led me to, to college at uh, UMBC. Dope. So being that you're from the East Coast, like, so to do that transition out West and you're thinking about engineering and thinking about, you know, getting the PhD or research, you know, career, did funding play a, like a big part for you? Like, cause there's a big misconception a lot <laughs> yeah. of times where people think that, oh, I don't have the money to go get a PhD. Cause a lot of them equated to like getting an MBA where there's a lot of, you know, it's yeah. $200,000 you invested, you know? So for you, like, what was that process like? Did you spend a lot of money? Like, what was, like, how did that process, yeah, how was that a, process for it's you? A, it's a big question. Um, it's a huge question. And, and I'll, I'll start it with absolutely, at every step of the way, resources that you receive um, throughout the ed- educational system uh, plays a major part in decisions that are being made. Um, I'll, I'll take you back to even college, because I think, you know, thinking about the resources you receive in college also kind of set you up for decisions you make later, um, set you up for decisions you make for graduate school, whether or not you go to professional school or even conceive of continuing your education um, into uh, the PhD and continuing the research career path. Because by and large, what I've seen has been um, a non-trivial element where a number of students come from academics who are doing approaching PhDs. And that's a great thing. It's not a bad thing at all, but it, it, it really begs the question of how can we get more people who do not come from academic families into, the, into research careers? And that becomes a challenge of resources, not just financial, but it certainly is also financial and, and certainly information uh, resources as well. Um, so, so just to answer the question about the college, relative to college, it certainly paid a uh, a huge impact, you know, in terms of what schools I consider. You know, fortunately, I was blessed to be offered um, not only a track scholarship to a number of institutions, but I was also, for me, uh, offered a, no- a few uh, academic scholarships as well. And UMBC and the Meyerhoff program believed in me and my um, academic aptitude that they offered me a full, a full ride. And, you know, that was actually part of my calculus I did not want to rely on an act, uh, athletic scholarship to, to cover myself uh, largely because I knew I made it a choice um, prior to college that I wanted to um, become an engineer more than I wanted to become an athlete. Um, as a result, they were so showing support down that path that they were you know, giving me support, showing me that, that, that I was wanted and that they were going to uh, support me in, in those dreams. Um, I think uh, there are a number of schools I've received great scholarship opportunities, um, including even MIT for college. And uh, it wasn't a full ride. And so I, I, I said, well, I, I, I couldn't conceive of even paying for college. You know, we did not come from, you know, a wealthy background. We were certainly working class, working class family. Um, and I, I didn't know of that stress. I didn't want to have to even conceive of the stress of having to to pay, take out loans to go to college. And so that, that paid a huge part. Uh, and it certainly, I'd say, continues on to graduate school, particularly in the STEM fields. There, it's, we're, we're highly underrepresented in STEM research career, careers. You know, and, and the top five institutions typically, you know, in, in you know, research programs, graduate, uh, master's and PhD, 
you don't find more than those graduate classes, you know, comprised of more than two to three percent black students. And so, you know, you're you're up against this, you know, this uh, I would say, um, at least perceived uh, hurdle of kind of having a financial uh, backing to continue in research because it's really delaying you going into the working world, right? You get a you get a college degree, typically you just go straight to the working world. And I'd say a number of my experience has been forcing my parents and my family has not put pressure on me, but I've known of others who've had some pressures to, hey, you know, you've got a college degree, you have an engineering degree, you need to go get a job, you've done enough school. Um, and, and that kind of social pressure can keep people from, from staying on that path that um, is a rarefied space by and large to continue a research career. So, you know, these institutions, I would say, you know, it's hugely important that we continue to, to support uh, students, black students and continue these graduate um, uh, programs and particularly in STEM fields. Great, appreciate that. So when you when you think about your undergrad training or just an undergrad, are there any resources that you wish you would tap into or what do you feel like if, you, if you're in STEM, you need to tap into these ABC in order to make sure that you are setting yourself up, whether you wanna to go to grad school, go straight into career, like what do you feel like they need to tap into? Um, I, I think I had a bounty of support systems and I, I don't look back on my undergrad wishing I'd done things very differently um, from an academic standpoint. I think I've been very blessed to look at the, that decision and saying that's one of the great decisions I made, uh, clear-minded decisions I made early in my life. Um, a couple of things that I would say are tenants of the Meyerhoff program and certainly part of the culture at UMBC lots of peer advising we work with each other you know students there's a collaborative culture there you're going to work on it, on problem sets together homework homework problems together um you're around other very motivated students and faculty oftentimes have an expectation that you work you're going to work hard <laughs> you're going to work your butt off and get the results um and so there was there's this host of support both from faculty having high expectations of your performance um, where they, you know, they'll tell you, I expect better if you're not performing well, right? Um, there's a number, there are a number of peer support um, systems where my roommates in college, we were, you know, almost competing for who, who was going to get all A's, who was going to get 4.0s, and we would work together. You know, we work and study together in these classes, and that, that pay, that's a huge difference than, you know, having friends that necessarily are just going to draw you to go to parties and this and that. So, having that was important, having structures through the Meyerhoff program where we had access to old course materials, where we had access to upperclassmen who were actually in a structured format, sitting down with us beginning of the year, were always available to us to ask questions, what classes we should take, what professors to look out for, what summer opportunities should we consider, um, what schools should we be applying to and why, you know, Man, I'm telling you that all the ingredients of success we had at UMBC, we had through the Meyerhoff program, and and it it really paid huge dividends. I think um, the one thing I wish I'd seen is that that was more prevalent at the graduate levels. Um, I didn't see that very much um, beyond a UMBC, and um, I think sometimes people lose sight of how important that is, particularly when you're trying to transform. Uh, a field and transform a, a culture, a campus culture. Got you. And when you, like when 
you was talking about with the groups on just navigating and figuring out where you were trying to go and apply, you know, what were the things that you looked for? Like to figure out like, Hey, this, this, I can, like, I know I want to go to school, get my PhD, but I didn't know what to look for, you know, first one doing it for a lot of these cats. So what do you think about, like, I am the first one. I don't know what to look for in the school. I was just thinking, Oh, I can go to X school, get a PhD and it'd be cool, you know, versus like things yeah. I need to be looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great point. You know, although I didn't have uh I didn't come from uh, a family that where we had academics um, or, or many engineers for that matter. It was definitely something where I had to um, rely on colleagues, friends, advisors, mentors, and making those decisions. Uh, in many regards, a lot of them trusted me. I think one of the, the common things I heard uh, in terms of what to look out for in, um, in your graduate career or in graduate uh, programs was your advisor. Whoever's going to be your research advisor is essentially the make or break, right? No matter what school you go to for your PhD, if you have a great advisor um, who is going to really help to develop you, uh, that's going to make your career. That really is the make or break in your career. Um, they make sure you get funding. They make sure you get all the support you need. They make sure you figure out what you, where your gaps are in terms of your proficiencies that are, that are really required to continue and advance in the field. Um, they push on you. They are, they become somewhat, you know, parents to you in, in many regards, uh, or, or, or at least really close mentors um, beyond just research bosses and, you know, faculty advisors and so on. Um, they also can do fundamental blocking and tackling for you, right? So that's one of the biggest things you see in, in graduate school and uh, graduate programs is there's so many hurdles, you know, research is hard enough, right? <laughs> and having to, um, you know, really hit walls and run through walls of, of certain program requirements where, you know, most students can actually petition their way through a number of different things. Just kind of knowing what levers of discretion you had, your advisors oftentimes would, would do the fundamental blocking and tackling so you could just run. You could just run your race and do what you needed to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot to the, the notion of momentum in a graduate program, you know. Um, you're trying to solve something that hasn't been solved before. You're trying to come up with new knowledge. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough task. That's a tall task that requires a lot of focus. And, you know, a great advisor is going to allow you to just get down into the weeds and, and focus and make sure you're covered. So that, that was the biggest thing. Um, I think the secondary to that, which I think is very much related, is resources, funding. There's no way around it. Um, you know, going into a graduate program, you want guarantees of funding. You need guarantees of funding. Mm -hmm. um, I think third and fourth, you know, further down that list, you th start to think about the networks, the strength of the degree or strength of the, the, uh, the, the branding of the school. But I, I think that's, that's certainly at least at best tertiary. It's not, it's not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing at all because what you're most interested in is the outcome. You're interested in the outcome of getting the degree you came to get. And, you know, I looked at programs that were very effective at doing that, but also certainly did, you know, and so I mentioned that because it was something that, that I, I did consider, the strength of the program, strength of the name brand. Um, I've been very blessed and fortunate to, to gain admission and matriculate to a number of incredibly great schools. Um, but, but going to a good school that doesn't fit you, um, doesn't fit your research, where you're not getting supported, is, is kind of a step backward. It's not, a, it's not very productive, to be honest with you. And that's something I would highly recommend anyone considering graduate programs to, to really put first focus on those two things I mentioned, the, the advisor relationship 
and really vetting your advisor because that's <laughs> hugely important. You want to know their character. You want to know the kind of person they are um, and, and how they they would look out for you. And also just the support, just being very, very much um, honest with yourself about the support financial and otherwise you're getting from that institution. So if they want you, they will make sure that they show that they want you. And that's point blank period. Yeah, that's the key point too. Like if they want you, they definitely going to show it for sure. That's not going to be hidden. So when it comes down to, you know, when you people go and say, hey, I'm going to get my PhD in this, but they always have this assumption that you get a PhD in engineering, you're going to become a faculty member, right? Or I'm going I'm I'm to go teach. And they always think that that's the, that's the case, right? It's like, it's either become a faculty member or a bus. So from your perspective, for students who may be debating like, oh, I think I just need to get a master's versus I need to get a PhD or both like for careers and things like what advice do you have for folks before you even get to the career piece? career pieces? Like for those who think like, oh, I want to get my master's or PhD. I feel like a lot of students don't know which one they need to get or which one they want to get. Uh, so I'm curious from your perspective, like what can you share from your knowledge on, you know, just on your pathway? <laughs> do you feel like they yeah. gotta, you know, do they need to, you know, what's the best bang for buck? What's, what do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, there, there are actually some good studies, and, and maybe I can even give an anecdote if, if that's permitted, Brian. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so, so I'll start by saying this, right? There's a lot of data out there that kind of shows it's optimal to get a master's degree, particularly in STEM fields and go on in the working world, if, if that's if the compensation is what you're looking for, right? Um, I think a number of institutions, a number of, you know, people recognize that you got to love doing research when you pursue faculty research careers. You got to love doing research. Loving what you do, loving what you work on, being very mission driven to that extent, by and large, has to be more important than, you know, driving a nice car, living in a fancy house, whatever the case might be. You know, really living as comfortably as you can possibly live. And by and large, you start to realize after two years of additional education, all that you know, the value that you would, you think you're der deriving from an extra degree just starts to drop off precipitously, like incredibly, right? <laughs> you, you're better off going right to the working world. So that's, that's something that resonates for me as well, right? Um, the truth is, you know, in your PhD program, you know, three, three years in, you're probably gonna start feeling, hey, this is kind of a waste of time, right? If you're, when you run into bumps and hurdles along the way, like, man, I could be making a good, good a decent salary right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that there has to be something that keeps you there. And that was mm -hmm. one of the things that resonated for me throughout the process. There's something you have to look to and say, hey, this is worth the journey. This is worth the sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. No question about that, particularly in STEM fields. Um, and even more so if your STEM field touches on the tech sector, right? Because we see the tech sector just taking off, right? Just people make incredible uh uh, salaries in, in tech mm -hmm. um, with even just bachelor's degree. So that the, the cost benefit does not necessarily weigh in favor of the PhD from that standpoint of compensation, but it doesn't, it doesn't preclude the fact that it is a terminal research degree that gives you broader open um, access to have faculty careers but also continue in doing other things. And you see a number of faculty members that start companies, that consult on the side, 
So, you know, it's not that they don't make good money either, right? <laughs> By and large, mm -hmm. you are seen as the expert because you do research, because you're asking the questions that haven't been asked before and come up with the, the answers that to those tough questions, right? So people trust you to be essentially a person who, who can speak objectively uh, and give truth. They, there's a deference you get with a PhD that you don't get otherwise. Right. Um, naturally. And, and it makes sense. So there's a lot of benefits that I, I say you can't really put to a dollar amount that can have huge implications as well. Um, unforeseeable, unpredictable implications, but but, you know, huge impacts on even in the financial side, for that matter. Right. So it's one of those things where you don't just look at it from a simple cost benefit. And I think the biggest thing is, is uh, mission driven now. To, to get to an anecdote, <laughs> just a brief, <laughs> a brief anecdote. Um, I went through that. Um, so I was wrapping up um, a dual master's program at MIT in nuclear engineering and technology and policy. And um, I started to feel like, yeah, you know, I might be spinning my wheels. Um, I need experience. I, I kind of want to see what the working world is like before I go back to, if I go back to the research field. And one of the things that I, I started to notice a number of my friends who were still in their PhD programs looked at me and said, hey, you, you got out. You're the smart one. And I, I used to think, <laughs> you know, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I'd rather just be making good progress, get this PhD done and not have to look back to, to that, that part of life because it, it's really tough. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, more and more I started to see what they meant. And it was really that cost benefit ladder. It was that cost benefit and that, uh, assessment where it's, hey, you know, you're, you're making good money. You're starting to make good money. You're living life. You don't have this huge burden of I got this and this with uncertain futures looming over me that I have to defend. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's one of those grass is greener uh, paradigms in general that I've noticed. Um, so to answer your question with that anecdote, that brief anecdote, um, there really isn't a right answer for, for everyone. There's not one single answer. And you just kind of have to know what, um, what you want. Um, and, and I'd say make a very sober decision about it. Be very clear-minded about it um, because it's because of the, the grass is greener issue, right? <laughs> it's easy to say, hey, this is hard. It looks, you know, conceivably that being in the working world is a lot easier, a lot better. You get better compensation. But if you're really driven, if you're really motivated to do research and this is a passion of yours, grit, grit through it, grit through it. Um, and, and even if you decide after, after gritting through that process that, Hey, you know what? I don't want to go into faculty careers. I want to go into the industry. Well, that's okay. Right. There is no rule loss. You know, you're putting, it, it is a sacrifice, but in the, the longer scheme of things, that's not a loss. Um, and, and, and it's one of those things. It's like a part, it's a personal journey. It's a personal choice. Um, so I, I, I think that's one of the things that I would say, you don't want to be very, haphazard, emotional about, you know, hey, this sucks right now. Let me go off and do something that's easier. You want to say, hey, is this a future I want and can conceive of doing? Is this a research field that I'm passionate about? Is this something I want to continue doing for, for my life? Or am I, eh, you know what, this is cool. Don't really love it. Let me go do something else. And I think if you're making that latter position, you're making a decision from that latter position, I think you're in a good, you're in a good place, right? You want to be able to say, hey, I'm going to something that I think I'm more intrigued by rather than I'm running away from something I'm frustrated with. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks.
and you're part of that one percent you know the one percent who does get the the phd in engineering that's one percent uh, no question about yeah. it <laughs> yeah yeah no <laughs> you're part of that it. that one percent so when you when you're in grad school you're in engineering you're doing this grind you know five five plus years in this grind you know a lot of times students don't think that you get a chance to to dabble in some outside things. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in school all year round. I'll have a chance <laughs> to really explore the private sector or do biotech or be a founder or launch a company. They feel like they can't get that experience. Like, so while you're in grad school engineering, is there opportunities to do that? Do you feel like students can, you actually have more freedom to do some exploration in that? Like school us a little bit on that. Like, tell us about your experiences yeah. and, and what you think about that. That's a big question. <laughs> so, hey man, we gotta um, get you. Gotta get the bang for the buck, man. You gotta get absolutely. It. <laughs> let's, get, let's get it all out there. Um, yeah, sure. So, in short, absolutely, right. And, and I, I would say there's probably I, I've been overwhelmed by the plethora of, um, I think opportunities of things, different things to do, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think by and large that's been. Um, what I've what I've seen from other people, because I don't want to just make it specific to the Stanford experience, because we all know Stanford is a bastion of startups. Mm-hmm. A lot, it's an oasis for the startup culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're it's located smack dab in Silicon Valley, so you can imagine there are students who come here not just with the interest of doing graduate research, but also you know kind of thinking about moving on into the world with you know taking on a, a venture for themselves. Um, a ton of classes um, are devoted to entrepreneurship at Stanford, and Stanford has a culture that really does support entrepreneurship. So it's a, that's a fantastic place to be. You have faculty members, in fact, um, getting involved with startups, you know, drawing on their graduate students to run their companies, um, taking sabbaticals to run companies and coming back. You know, so the hist- history of our School of Engineering, in fact, has been around uh, developing an ecosystem that supports and promotes um, startups, right? That's unique to Stanford. Um, So I don't wanna just conceive of that unique cultural development. I will say specifically for me in my experience with Stanford, yes, absolutely. I've had opportunities to work on startups um, that came out of classes. You know, Capella Space was was, uh, my first year here, um, something we worked on in in the class setting. And, you know, the, the CEO took that beyond the class and it's been an enormous success, you know, um, and something I, I look back on very fondly and being able to uh, be a part of at early stages, at the early stages. Um, you know, I've worked with students, I've worked with classmates, colleagues, and friends with on a number of startups, even those that I, I didn't take a position on, um, and seeing those success stories, were, those were incredible. I've consulted with professors, <laughs> you know, outside, you know, you know, outside of, of Stanford where, you know, they're working on, on projects and, and they need some, some extra help. They need some extra, some extra bodies that are, are competent. Um, I've explored, you know, IP law. You know, I've, uh, you know, I've TA'd, you know, classes for uh, professors and, um, you know, gotten invited to interview at their companies, you know. And, and those opportunities, I'd say, were incredible. Um, it opened my eyes to a number of different reach, uh, career paths for that matter. And beyond that, I mean, I think you're, you know, what is I think ubiquitous and at least more consistent with the graduate experience is that you're around a, a bunch of really smart people uh, who are pushing the envelope and, you know, that level of close collaboration 
and companionship, you know, um, fellowship breeds opportunities to actually work on some some new things. It doesn't necessarily even have to be in the technology space. It could simply be, hey, you know what, um, Brian, you know, we both we both want to get into real estate. Let let's figure out how we can make money on the side, kind of flipping houses and doing X, Y, and Z. So, you know, just kind of being around someone else who who might share the same level of drive, same level of ambition, same level of just you know discipline is good in itself. And that's that's consistently been my experience and, and the experience I've heard of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So reminder of that, y'all, y'all can not, you don't have to be a faculty member when you get a PhD, just making sure for everybody listening, you know, you don't not have to be a faculty member at all. If you want to, by all means, you will not struggle for employment <laughs> still just to make that very clear. That, that's have, absolutely right. Yeah. So we'll make sure that's clear for folks. Anyway, I want to dissuade people from going into academia because trust me, we need more black engineering professors. There is no doubt yeah, <laughs> around. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing to, to that point, Brian, that, that you know, uh, students will take those opportunities to explore <clears throat> what they might enjoy doing after school. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it is, hey, you go to, to intern at a company like, eh, you know, I don't really like I don't really like the tech sector. Or I, mm-hmm. I don't really like what the job sector, the job market. Looks. I actually love the lab culture. I love academic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you might take a, you know, look into public policy for that matter and become like a fellow and, and work, you know, with, with Congress or so on. Like, ah, you know, this is cool, but, you know, you know the D.C. bureaucratic life, nah, not, not for me, right? Mm-hmm. I would say take those opportunities for sure and, and explore different op- opportunities that, that, you know, you might say, this is for me, or this is not for me. You know, this is, this, you know, graduate school is one of those spaces. Being, being in school is a unique opportunity to really explore, have the freedom to explore what motivates you, what you want to do, how you want to craft your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. And one thing that, you know, as you go through this journey, one thing we talk about through every session that we have with but the fellas is that we always do like, you know, mental health check-ins, see how everybody's holding up with family and everything going. So when you think about mental health and moving like throughout your process is like, how did you stay grounded with that? You know, I know you say you have to find something to push through and all that good stuff, but we know that sometimes not for like, for some folks, this is like, it's, it gets at them. It gets at them hard, you know, with that's the grind. Right. And, you know, that mental health is something that's not often talked about uh, a lot and is getting more talked about. Um, it's more so in medicine than it is in STEM a lot. So just from your end, you know, with keeping, you know, with your mental health and taking care of self, you know, what a recommendation you have for these students as they move forward through that, especially for the ones who are coming out of everything post-COVID, you know, anything they thought about, well, shoot, COVID ain't over. F what? COVID ain't over, y'all. Y'all think it is. It ain't over. Uh, <laughs> COVID ain't not over. over yet. It's, it's not over yet. <laughs> Outside may be open, but it, it ain't, it's not over. Yeah. Uh, so as they move and think about, you know, because this year obviously has had impact on all of us, you know, a lot of them just thinking about where I want to go, how I'm going to do it, like mental health being impacted. It's like, what recommendations you have for taking care of self or maybe like if you don't have recommendations, like in terms of things that you may do that everybody else doesn't have, just like what questions you feel like people can help set themselves up to know, like, OK, I'm falling off a little bit. Yeah, a couple of things I would say that um, how I approach it, because um, it is a it's a real thing. You know, I feel it from time to time, even to now. It's not a it's not something you it's not a, a, a big boogeyman you beat and get past. <laughs> you know what I mean? The yeah. stress of life, it comes like seasons. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really learning the best practices, figuring out where you are, being very present, honest with yourself, transparent with people around you um, in ways that enable you to kind of get through it because it comes, you know, it, and, and it's stuff that you can't control necessarily. You know, COVID came. We had no idea about that. You know, family matters come up from time to time. You have no control over that, you know. So it's regardless of whether or not you're at a, in school or out of school seasons will come and go so so some of the things that, that I've, I've gleaned and, and fortunately I've, I've um, borrowed from from close friends and colleagues well one you know be patient with yourself you know when you get you know, getting to graduate school getting through grad school requires a level of drive um, that you allow yourself to feel a lot of feel a lot of pressure right you, you embody a lot you take on a lot of pressure and so be patient with yourself because you're already taking on a lot. <laughs> um, I had to remind myself, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, I didn't come from this. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I kind of, I've been blessed and to have a, a number of, of opportunities presented to me. But by and large, I'm not supposed to be here. The numbers bear that out, right? One to three percent, right? We're one percenters to get this paid. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, so I'm at every step, I have to remind myself how blessed I am. And when I, when I give God thanks, you know, for just being here, being in this position, um, having these opportunities, it shifts my, my mind, my mindset when times are tough, when I'm going through one of those, those hard seasons. Um, a number of things that I try to do, and I think it's most, one of, some of the most important things for me is kind of staying in the community, being around your tribe, having people, they don't have to be academics, <laughs> you know, have people around you that that feed into you and who you feed into, who, who know you, who know you not for what you've accomplished, who know you for just who you are as a person, your character, and will say, hey, Brian, you know, you know, you're looking a little off. Let's, let's go grab a bite or let's, let's, get, let's hit this gym. Let's get some hoops up because I know we feel better when we get some, you know, play some ball. So, mm-hmm. you know, people who are mindful of you, um, mm-hmm. who you can be transparent with, who um, that's important. That's really important to just have that. That's one of the big challenges in being around um, these academic spaces is that at present, we don't have um, critical mass yet. We mm-hmm. don't have the spaces where, <laughs> in general, we don't have to rely on pushing on administration to say, hey, we need this, we need that, we need this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas back home, you guys fix your, each other's problems. We, we solve things for ourselves. You know, oftentimes so. that's been our legacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've gone through yeah. really tough times and, you know, we're going to come together as a community, as a family, as whatever unit and get through it. We're going to figure it out, mm-hmm. um, bear each other's burdens. Right. So that community piece is super huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one part of that community piece is kind of looking outside of yourself and looking outside of your, your own circumstance to conceive that there are a lot of people who are not doing well as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's for me thinking about that. I'm blessed. Um, mm-hmm. I'm relatively blessed, but I'm blessed mm-hmm. objectively. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So it's like people out here, you know, are not doing well. And so for me, what one one of the things that has helped me is getting outside of my my own world, my own bubble by volunteering, by mentoring, by saying like, hey, the world still moves. And and I have a I have a place in it, just even if it's a small, insignificant place, it's a mm-hmm. place nonetheless. Um, exercise, nutrition. These are smaller things that, you know, as you get older, you recognize how big and important they are. It balances you. It keep it fuels you to keep moving. Um, I, that's one thing I wouldn't, I, I can't emphasize enough. 
you know, really learning good nutrition, mm-hmm. getting good eating habits, sleeping. Whew, that's a big one. Sleeping. Yes, sir. Um, Sleep. Getting out and getting some exercise, man. Get, get your body moving. Um, especially if, you know, you're a person like myself who <laughs> I, I, I consume way too many calories. I got to expend them. So I got to start moving <laughs> a bit more. Right. So <laughs> that's a big it's a it's an important thing to, to get moving. And when I, one of the things I found when I was um, running in college was how balanced I felt. And most people thought it was, oh, you know, you're running a 10 mile, you're running 10 miles that should exhaust you. Mm-hmm. And there's such a thing called runner's high that you feel after you've run and exerted so much energy, you just kind of feel emotionally balanced, like level. Mm-hmm. And it actually gives you, it energizes you. And, and when I, when I found myself pulling back on, um, you know, getting in a workout, a hard workout, stressing my body in a prescribed way, and it gave me other benefits, particularly like emotional benefits of just feeling super level-headed mm-hmm. and clear-minded. Um, I had to start getting back into those routines. And those routines were really, really helpful, especially for me during COVID. Mm-hmm. When you're isolated, not getting the vitamin D exposure that you you really need. And as, as melanated people, we're uh, <laughs> more often than not, you know, not getting enough vitamin D, right? Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things I had to say, hey, I have to be intentional. And you know, that you get to a point where you're empowered to take the space you need to do those things. Mm-hmm. And you have to trust that at the end of the day, um, you got to do the things that you personally need to do for you to be able to be productive and to advance. And mm-hmm. short of that, you are no good to anyone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it, it's some, in some regards, it's making that space for yourself. And, and, and that's aligned with being patient with yourself. So those are some of the things I'd seen. I gleaned from people, gleaned from my community, my friends, colleagues who, who you know, tapped me. Hey, Isaac, um, let's go. Let's go get, get a walk in. Let's go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Uh, let's talk. Let's go golfing. I didn't golf, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. let's try something new. You know, even right. if you're terrible at it, <laughs> right. whatever. Nah, I feel that. So like last two questions before we check out. So as you progressed and made, you know, leaps and bounds, like generational change, you know, with everything you're doing. And so I know for a lot of the students I've interacted with and just from everybody listening, like a lot of folks struggle with like, you know, the survivor's guilt, like, damn, you know, like I wish mm. my whole team went, but you know, it's like, yeah. it's me, you know? And then, you know, people say you change, you know, you're like, you changing yeah. how you do things. And, I'm curious from, from your perspective, like for somebody who may be navigating that, you know, do you have any, you know, tidbits or just ways to, you know, it seems like the more success they get, the more isolated they get from their friends a little bit, like who they may have came up with. So, uh, like just any thoughts or reactions to that? That's a big, that's a big one. It's a real one. (laughs) Very real uh, question. You know, I think when I was in college, I, I was really challenged with that. You know, one of my close friends um, had chose a different path mm-hmm. um, um, in high school. And when I was in college, he ended up getting gunned down. And I came mm-hmm. home looking to hang out with him, only to find out he was no longer with us. And mm-hmm. it, it started me to really start asking those questions like, man, you know, why is it that he, you know, didn't get the opportunities that I got? Why mm-hmm. is it that he had a different path in life than I had? Um, and what I had to reframe it from, <clears throat> cause it's easy to get in that path of, you know, 
there are so many people who, who are deserving and yet I'm in this, I have these opportunities. And so going back and it's like, oh, I feel isolated, I'm different. <clears throat> I had to reframe my, my perspective on it. And a big part of it is related to really that connection and with your community. Like I am my community. <laughs> so I'm representing them wherever I go, no matter what. And I'm trying to put my best foot forward to be able to take gleans from these new experiences because we've never as as a people had these opportunities given to us. This is, you know, integration by and large is not more than 60 plus years, right? So it's <laughs> this is a, a new project that we're as a country are on, you know, given our, our unique legacy and history in this in this world. Um so, you know, our parents may not have had these opportunities. Our grandparents certainly less likely had those opportunities. And beyond mm -hmm. that, by and large, probably not at all. Yeah. Right. So I look at it from the standpoint of not just, um, you know, looking at those who struggled before us. I look around us and I say, we're not we're not done yet. There's, a, there's so much work to be done. And if nothing else, I want to be able to sit in these rooms you know, be on these kind of talks like these podcasts and be able to share information, give you good information. That was one of the things that, you know, when I got to grad school, that was the thing that kind of blew my mind. It was just how people lived, how they moved, what they did. I'm, I, I didn't know people came, I, I didn't know it was as commonplace to come from million dollar homes, you know, have millionaire families. Mm -hmm. And yet that's, you know, when you get into these spaces, you're, you're like, whoa, whoa. The way they live, the, the way they make decisions is totally different. Mm -hmm. And I don't begrudge them. And, and there's some things that I want to glean from them that I think are powerful. Mm -hmm. And I need to show that to my people. I need to show that to my community, that we are aware of these different opportunities that we can advance ourselves as well. So for mm -hmm. me, it's, it's from that standpoint of I'm, I'm constantly hungry, hungry to, to learn new things that I can go take, take back to my family, go take back to my friends, go bring to my community that we can continue to advance. And, and mm -hmm. it's that perspective that not only is it, you know, I've been given an opportunity for whatever reason, right? I, it's, it's beyond me at some points, but it includes me nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to do my part, whatever it is, I got to do my part. And, and those people who, um, you know, as I grow, they're not growing with me. That's just part of life too. I have to, I have to learn to accept that and, and still respect them for their decisions but I have to recognize that, you know, in these seasons as they shift, you know, I might be losing some people, but I also am gaining some people. Right. And, and those, you know, I have to constantly just kind of remind myself of that as well. For sure. So yeah, last question before we wrap up, man. So this is like a segment we got, it's called, it's called roses. So this is what the opportunity where the guests get to just give, like if there's non-family members specifically try to highlight some black excellence somewhere. So if you have to give your roses to somebody who doesn't get enough of it, who's doing a lot of amazing things, you know, that black empowerment, everything that you've done and the work you've done. Like you can name off like two or three folks. If you want to run, up, run off some more, you can, but somebody you feel like, you know, the young generation should know about and give them their roses. So uh, you got anybody off the top of your head you want to give a shout out to and love to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, man, there's so many. <laughs> I'll try <laughs> to keep it to two or three. Um, go. I got, I got a shout out. Um, one of my good friends, DeLeon, Professor DeLeon Gray down at NC State doing some really incredible transformative work on belonging. Um, it, it's a, he's a brother I've known from high school. And when I tell you this dude's story is incredible, um, 
he is someone who's inspired me on, on that path um, in terms of, you know, one of the, one of the, being one of the most unlikely persons to get into the position he's in. And yet every turn, he's just continued to, to just wow. You know, every opportunity thrown his way, he just knocked it out the park. And the work he's doing on belonging has been a longer arc of stuff that he's done e- even in high school. I mean, not in high school, in, in, uh, in college, who, by the way, he was not the, the most likely college scholar, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I think, you know, when I look to him, um, he, he's, um, he's someone I, I think we should all know a bit more about whose story is very, very meaningful, um, who's had a huge impact on me personally, but I think is going to have incredible impact um, in our country in the coming in the coming years and decades and I, I want people to start seeing the work he's doing now <laughs> because he's he's already 10 years beyond where we are so he's one um I gotta give um let's see who I gotta give a shout out to um one of my good friends Emmanuel Cephas out in Baltimore I'll say it Baltimore <laughs> I won't say Baltimore <laughs> Yeah, this dude is stone cold, a genius. Uh, I met him in one of my internships. Um, black, black brother, you know, studying physics. He was a quadruple major at the time. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, he he's just a brilliant guy. Like, he's one of those few, few rare persons. You're like, you are pretty much a genius. The way you look at the world is so different, so unique. And um you know, he's working on a number of things. One of the things I, I would shout out is the work he's been doing uh, pretty much even in the ed tech space. He, he had been working on a project, I think it's called Miyagi, where he was looking to leverage um, movement in ways that students, young students um, could learn and better acquire math skills. So using, you know, kind of abstracting away these symbol, you know, symbols of, you know, you know, even, you know, different arithmetic uh, operations and abstracting that away to actually a movement so that people can have a different cognitive metacognitive association with you know um math through mm-hmm. movement which i think the way he's the way he looks at it i can't i can't do it justice <laughs> explaining it <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh he's been doing some incredible things um very humble brother just just a great guy and i think more people need to know his story in fact as well um like just, I was wild. Like I met this dude my first year, my first summer in college at an internship. I'm, I'm walking downstairs to to go, you know, explore during the weekend, explore, you know, where I was. We were in LA and I see him, uh, I see some incredible, some crazy equations on the screen. He's working on a computer. I was like, what are you working on? He's like, yeah, this, uh, I just left a, a program for the summer studying string theory. I was like, what is that? <laughs> so this guy is looking, looking far into the future at that time, you know, into theoretical physics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, but very down to earth at the same time. So, you know, the way he's able to balance this theoretical mind with a very practical and humble um, character is, is something I, I, I admire. And I think we, we um, I would love for more people to, to know him. Um, he's a special, special guy. Um, Let's see. I think um, I also would, I'll give a shout out to a good friend of mine. I mean, I I, I don't want to leave any. I don't want to miss out on anyone because there's so many people I'm inspired by constantly. But I'll just I'll throw another one out there. And, and the reason why I'll give her a shout out is her unique story. And and we've we've met 
at a unique um, point in our lives, uh, a good friend of mine, Aisha Bo, she's a CEO, you know, so she's, uh, we met at a conference for being black in aerospace. She was mm -hmm. working at NASA. She actually got me to, to come to NASA. Um, she convinced me to quit my, <laughs> my corporate, <laughs> corporate job and, and come out to California and, and really uh, get an exper experience working with NASA as well. Um, and she, you know, went off and did her own thing. But one of the things that's so, so incredible about her story that I think is worth uh, a lot of our young young brothers and sisters knowing about is her path. She she really started to define her own path after allowing other people to kind of define what she would do. And um, I think her story is out there a little bit more. But you know, her guidance counselor told her told her to go into cosmetology. You know, mm -hmm. not a bad thing, but it's why not allow her or look at, uh, you know, find out what she wants for herself and yeah, figure out yeah. ways of supporting her path. And uh, she came through the community college um, world, which I think is a great story because you don't have to just go straight off to a four-year college. Nope. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a wonderful thing in, in really finding your path and choosing those things for you, working hard, being disciplined. Um, those things count. Those things count for something. And she yeah. made, she's done incredible things both at NASA and beyond. I'm excited about the, the startup she has, the new um, uh, electronics kit that she's put together called Lingo, which I think is going to be hugely, um, which not going to be, I think it is hugely impactful, um, not only as a black woman entrepreneur, uh, but, but in the tech sector as well, having these little, these kits that young students can can have access to learning some of the fundamentals early on. It's a very accessible product that she's developed. I think it's a hit. I think mm -hmm. it's I think it's fantastic, and, and I think more people should know about her as a person, and and also the work she's doing. Dope. Well, Isaac, I appreciate you, man. If the people want to get in contact with you, man, how how can you do that? Like, what's the best way to contact with you? And if there's anything else you want to do, a shameless plug for, please. This is your time, <laughs> <laughs> man. That's a big one. Um, let's see. I, I'm not big on social media, to be honest, but <laughs> <laughs> you can <laughs> at least not yet. Um, I, I'm kind of still heads down um, with, with school and everything. Um, but you can you can email me. Um, actually, in fact, I, I'll let them go through you, Brian. Um, you have okay. my contact information. <laughs> um, I, I'll give you my email. I think that might be the best thing or, um, you know, Let's see. Yeah, I'd say email is probably the best thing, to be honest with you, or LinkedIn. Shoot me a message on there. That's probably the, the only social media presence I really have. <laughs> it's sad. I know I'm working on that. Um, but yeah, I love to, to, to be helpful any way I can. Information, you know, connection, whatever. Um, I would say definitely feel free to I would love for, for, for you guys to reach out to me. I'm, I'm a resource. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, continuing the progress that people that have come before us um, have made. And, and really, you know, my big thing is is doing it in, in a way that opens the doors for people to come after me. That's that's really what it comes down to for me. All right. Solid. Isaac, always appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking your time out to do this, man. You can be anywhere in the world. You're here with me. Appreciate you, bro. Anytime, anytime, Brian. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace.